morning, HGC. It's good to be here with you today. Uh, like Alex just said, this is our final sermon, final week in the book of Jonah. We've been going through intermittently um, alongside of the Ephesians series that Aaron has been preaching. And throughout the book of Jonah, we've seen this, this tension, this contrast of, of who Jonah should be and who he is. He should be this righteous, faithful, obedient prophet. But he's actually this self-centered and self-righteous and scared man. His shortcomings and his sin have been contrasted with the pagan sailors in chapter 1, where they showed more fear for the Lord and, and a more uh, value for human life than Jonah did. His obedience was also contrasted with the Ninevites in chapter 3, where upon hearing the message of God, they immediately respond in repentance and humility and obedience, turning their lives to honor God. And in chapter 4, which we'll be looking at today, we finally see Jonah and his attitude, his selfish self-pity contrast with the Lord's selfless compassion. I hope that what you've seen through this amazing account of, of Jonah's life is the grace and compassion of the Lord, his wrath and his intolerance of sin and how all of this points to his holiness and his glory and how that drives us then to live lives that honor him. So chapter 4, it's the climax, it's the pinnacle, it's kind of like the, the home run hit of the entire message of the book of Jonah. And the big idea of the message today is that God calls his people out of selfish, self-pity, and into selfless compassion. God calls his people out of selfish, self-pity, and into selfless compassion. And if we get a little bit more broad, God calls his people out of sin and into holiness. And so I invite you to read with me uh, the first few verses of Jonah chapter 4. But it pleased, it, but it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry, and he prayed to the Lord and said, Oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That's why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he should see what should become of the city. So verses 1 to 5, they retell how after the Ninevites are convicted of their sin and they repent, they turn to the Lord for forgiveness and salvation. After this response, Jonah becomes exceedingly angry. He's angry that the Lord has shown mercy to this city full of people. And he's angry and he blames God for being gracious and merciful and slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. He blames God, basically, for being too good. 
They're the Ninevites, the worst people on the planet. How could God possibly spare these people? They deserve to burn in hell, Jonah's thinking. He's, he's angry that after he called them to repentance, that they actually listened to him and they were obedient to the Lord. It's kind of crazy. Like any other preacher alive today, if they had this kind of response to one of their sermons where an entire city of people that are murdering and worshiping idols responded and repented, they'd have that framed on their wall. But Jonah responds a little differently. He, he is angry. And he blames God. But wasn't this the whole point of him going to Nineveh in the first place? Jonah's exceedingly angry response clues us into the fact that, no, this was not his goal of preaching to Nineveh. He wanted them to die, not to repent. And he thought that he got the privilege of being the harbinger of death and doom and gloom. And so what we see in these first five verses is that sin turns our focus inward. Sin makes us self-centered, self-righteous, self-seeking, self-pitying people. It's this inward selfish focus that led Jonah to come to a fundamentally different understanding of what his calling was as a prophet of God. Jonah with this sinful kind of twisted way of thinking thought that his job was to just give Nineveh a heads up that they were going to die hey Ninevites just so you know God's going to hellfire and brimstone this place in 40 days enjoy the rest of your time he was hard-hearted towards these people towards the Lord's calling upon his life and so when he realizes that what God wanted out of Nineveh, what God wanted out of Nineveh was repentance. Jonah gets ticked off. He, his calling was not just to let them know that they were going to die. His calling as a prophet of God was to call the people to repentance. To call them back to this life of holiness and worship of the true and living God. And our calling today, if you're a Christian here, our calling today on a broad level, is very much the same as Jonah's was during his lifetime. Now you might say, hold on, Jonah was an Israelite prophet. He lived thousands of years ago. Jesus hadn't come yet. His context was different. Nineveh doesn't even exist anymore. How can we have the same calling? And while it's true that as we read Scripture, we want to be very, very careful that we don't read ourselves into every single text because we're not Jonah. And we are not the Ninevites, and we're especially not God. But as we read scripture, we see that Jonah, as a prophet of God, had a command, a calling to fulfill what we saw in chapter 1. He was going to Nineveh. He was supposed to go there and preach against their sin because it was offensive to God. And our command, our calling today as Christians is very much the same. No, we're not supposed to go to Nineveh. We're supposed to go to the people all around us living in sin who don't even know that they're sinning. And we have to tell them about Jesus, call them to repentance, call them to this life of holiness. And we see this command in many places in Scripture Perhaps most famously at the end of the Gospel of Matthew, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. 
That's our calling. And Jonah had his to preach to the Ninevites. We have our calling to tell everyone we know about Jesus. I feel like I point to this sign every time I preach. We exist to glorify God by showing and sharing the love of Jesus Christ. Jonah is so consumed with himself and what he wants that his actions and attitude don't don't really make a lot of sense here. As his focus is turned inward by his sin, it's completely destroyed any compassion that he might have had for these people. We see in his, he, we see in his response that he's angry that an entire city of people isn't going to die. That's pretty heartless, but that, that's what happens when sin begins to take a hold of our hearts and our minds. When sin has warped his view of what's good and what's just. We see that as he accuses God of being all these amazing things. He's actually angry that God is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Meanwhile, he had just received that same grace and mercy and love like a flood in chapter 2 when the Lord saves him from drowning. But you know what? I I bet that that scene in chapter 2 where he gives this amazing prayer of the salvation of the Lord, I bet that's not even on his mind right now because he's way too consumed with this selfish self-pity to be thinking about anything else other than how he's not getting what he wants. And sin has also warped his sense of why he was created and what it means to live. Look at verse 3 again. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. This is a stark contrast again to his prayer in chapter 2, where he prays, When my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord. Salvation belongs to the Lord. But here, chapter 4, Jonah's so wrapped up in his self-pity, so focused on how terribly things have gone for him, that he gets to a point where he just wants to die. He's suicidal. His view of, of who God is and his view of what is good are so twisted that he believes it would be better for him to die than to continue living. He has no desire to live in a world where God shows mercy to sinners, where he cannot wrap God up in this neat little box and label him the God of me and nobody else. Jonah cannot, because of his sin, see in any way how life could be better than death. And this is what sin does to us. It warps our minds. It it changes how we think. It causes us to focus on ourselves, and when things don't go our own way, we just wallow in this selfish self-pity. What is good is now evil. The literal translation of, of Jonah being angry there is, and it was exceedingly evil to Jonah that the Ninevites repented of their sin. God's character is terrible. How could he treat me this way? How could he show mercy to those people? They're sinners, sure. Sure, I'm not perfect, but would you look at them? They're really bad. I don't, I don't want to live in a world with them. Actually, you know what? I don't want to live at all. 
in this, in this short prayer of Jonah's, do you see yourself a little bit? Have you ever been so bitter that you don't think that people deserve the mercy of God? That they don't deserve the steadfast love of God or maybe to even be loved at all? Have you been so wrapped up in your anger that you forget that God has shown you his grace and mercy and steadfast love as well. I for sure have. And, and sin causes us to just become so wrapped up in ourselves and our desires and our lusts and what we're not getting that we think that uh, we believe all these same lies that Jonah did. These lies, like what God chooses to do is wrong. Nobody deserves the grace and mercy and love of God. Well, except for me. I want others to die. I want me to die. All of these thoughts, these are lies. They're, they're, they're lies that sin convinces us of. And they're irrational. They're not healthy thoughts, but sin twists and erodes and distorts what is good and true and just. We become just these victims of the universe and everyone else is in the wrong. It lowers our view of God and it lowers our view of other people. And somehow, in, in some strange way, it raises our view of ourselves way too high while at the same time diminishing our view of what our lives mean. Sin is a liar and it's something inside each and every one of us. the Lord said you do, do you do well to be angry you can't help but hear this compassion this grace this patience that God has for this whiny brat of a man as he asks that question he doesn't respond to any of the ridiculous statements this temper tantrum that Jonah's having but instead he just asks him to reflect on, on why he's so mad Unfortunately, another thing that sin does to us is it causes us to be terrible listeners and uh, causes us to be terrible at questioning our own motives. And so in verse 5, we see Jonah basically ignores the Lord's question and he goes up and finds a nice spot, still kind of hopeful that somehow he'll get a front row seat to this destruction of Nineveh. And so in verse 6, this is where God decides that he's going to teach Jonah a lesson. Because somehow he hasn't learned it yet. In verse 6 to 8 says, Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it to come up over Jonah that it might be a shade over his head to save him from his discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so it withered. And when the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. 
verses 6 to 8. And verses, uh, actually verses 6 to 11 show us that while sin turns our focus inward, God turns our focus upward and outward. So verse 6, God causes this plant to grow, to give Jonah some shade. And, and look at what it says at Jonah's reaction. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. That's the exact same terminology used to, to describe his anger in verse 1. Nineveh receiving mercy makes him exceedingly angry, but himself receiving mercy makes him exceedingly glad. In verse 7, God sends this worm to destroy the plant. And the sun begins to beat down on his head. And again, Jonah immediately cycles back into, it's better for me to die than to live. And as soon as things begin to not go his way, he wants to die. This is not a mentally or emotionally or spiritually healthy person. He's still just so focused on himself, on getting his own way, on having an easy life, on his comfort and his view of justice playing out. But verse 9 is when God really begins to make his point. <clears throat> but God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, yes, I do well to be angry, angry enough to die. And the Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into, an, into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and also much cattle? Jo God calls Jonah out on his sin. Jonah, you're so caught up in this self-pity that you're more sad about a plant dying than 120,000 people. What's more important to you, this, this city full of people created in the image of God or, or the life of a single plant that lived for a day? What God is, is doing here is he's calling Jonah out of this self-pity and into the selfless compassion of himself. To Jonah, the plant is more important than the people in the city. His sin has made him to believe this. But God calls him out. He says to Jonah, you care about plants and I care about these people that I've made in my image. Who are so lost in their sin that they can barely tell their hands apart. They have no idea how sinful they really are. But I care for them and I love them. You should too. What we see in these verses is that God is exactly who Jonah accused him of being. He is gracious and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. But when we're so focused inward on ourselves and what we want, we cannot see God for who he is. We can't want what God wants. Jonah is so self-pitying that it's led him to become disillusioned with his God, with his purpose, with his own life. Sin will always lead to despair. And what's the way out of this despair? Well, the world would tell us that we have to keep looking inward. Search within yourself. You can do anything you set your mind to. 
You are the answer to find the meaning and truth for your life. All it takes is a quick look at the best-selling self-help books on Amazon to see this. However, God calls our attention upward to focus on him and outward to have compassion on the people around us. There are so many places in Scripture that tell us to look to the Lord, and I just want to read a few of them for you here. Psalm 121, I lift up my eyes to the hills. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. Psalm 34, those who look to him are radiant, and their faces shall never be ashamed. 2 Corinthians 3.18, and we all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into that same image from one degree of glory to another. And maybe my favorite, Hebrews 12, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. When our attention is pulled away from ourselves and onto the Lord, that is when we begin to find a way out of this despair and sin and self-pity. That's when we begin to become the people that God wants us to be. Because God calls his people out of selfish self-pity and into selfless compassion. When we look upward, we see the perfect example, the perfect picture of what grace and mercy are. We see what it means to be slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. And this leads us to compassion. Would you look again at verse 10 and 11? The Lord said, you pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in a night and perished in a night. And should not I pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left, and also much cattle? In other words, when you're so wrapped up in your sinful self-pity, you have more compassion, more sorrow on a plant dying because it gives you something. It gives you comfort and ease. The plant gives you what you want, but you have zero compassion on other people created in the image of God. But God calls us to look upward. Look at my example. I have compassion on these people. I love them despite their sin and wickedness. Why should I not have compassion on them? Church, what is the plant in your life? Is there anything in your heart that you value way too much because it gives you something that you enjoy? I, I just want us to pause here for a moment and, and ask a, a few questions of ourselves because it's important. Like Jonah, we can become so blind to our own sin. I'm just going to ask these questions and, and I, I'd ask you to reflect on them as I read them for you. What is my greatest fear? What makes me angry? Where am I tempted to seek for pleasure and comfort? 
Who do I desire approval from? What am I tempted to build my identity around? What do I care about way too much? What am I most tempted to complain about? The answers to these questions can help us to discern what plants we may have in our life, what things we want so much that we're sent into despair and disillusionment and depression if we can't have them. We put these things, often very good things, but we put them in this place in our lives where only God deserves to be. Sin causes us to focus inward, looking to our own self-interest and self-preservation and self-glorification. But God calls us to look upward to him. And only after we look upward and see his mercy and grace and his love and compassion upon the world, are we able to have that same selfless compassion to everyone around us. It's this very compassion that drove Jesus, the Son of God, to come to earth as a man. He was the king of the universe. But he came to earth, he humbled himself to live this perfect life, surrounded by imperfect people, and allow those same imperfect people to crucify him in order to pay the price of sin. The sin of the Ninevites was paid for on that cross. The sin of Jonah was paid for on that cross. And the sins of you and I were paid for on that cross. Every sin you ever committed or ever will commit was paid for by the all-sufficient power of the blood of Jesus. 1 John 2.2 says, He is the propitiation for our sins, and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. He did this because he loves you, and we've heard it over and over again as Aaron has preached through Ephesians. I'm going to read this verse again for us. It was a scriptural assurance of forgiveness this morning, and this was not planned. But God, being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, has made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. The compassion that God has for you and for me is so immense that he died in order to make a way for us to be with him, worshiping him forever in the new heavens and earth. And Dan, when he preached through Jonah 2, he preached about how the grace of God is irresistible. How when we truly come face to face with God in his immeasurable grace, that there is no choice for us other than to fall to our knees and worship him because he is God and he is king. Do you see that here in Jonah 4? Do you see the greatness and glory and majesty of him? Do you see his compassion? It is right here in these pages. This is all that the book of Jonah is about, showing us who God is so that we are driven to pray to him 
Oh Lord, I know that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore, oh Lord, please give me life. For it is far better for me to live for you than to die for myself. And it is far better for me to die for you than to live for myself. That is what the book of Jonah wants us to see. That is how God calls us to respond to this revelation of himself. He's so good. I think perhaps uh, the most impactful historical church writing that has impacted me has been the confessions of St. Patrick. Patrick was born in what's now Great Britain in the 5th century. And at age 16, he was kidnapped by pirates and taken to Ireland as a slave. And he was enslaved for six years before he escaped and went back to England. But as a free man, he decided to become a missionary. And he actually went back to Ireland. He's credited as the founder of Christianity in Ireland. His legacy is massive. And we celebrate his, his life by drinking beer and wearing green. But, but do you know what, what drives a person to return to a country where they were enslaved and kidnapped to return there and preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to them? Do you know what, what drives a person to do that? It's looking to Jesus. It's experiencing that same compassion. Just, just listen to this quote from, from his confession. But this I know for certain, that before I was brought low, I was like a stone lying deep in the mud. Then he who was powerful came and in his mercy pulled me out and lifted me up and placed me on the very top of the wall. And he who was powerful came and in his mercy pulled me out and lifted me up and placed me on the very top of the wall. He who is powerful comes in his mercy to each one of us. Will we respond by focusing on ourselves and self-pity, or will we respond by looking up to him, beholding his grace and mercy and love and glory? And living a life driven by gospel compassion for others. That's the big question, isn't it? Would you pray with me? Dear Lord, we thank you and praise you once again for your perfect word. Thank you that the life of Jonah has been recorded in these pages, not to give us an example of what not to be, Lord, but to show us who you are. 
Lord, that your grace and compassion and love towards us would impact our hearts? Would we not just become bored and and take these things for granted? God, in our sin, in times of distress and despair and disillusionment, when everything seems to be against us, Lord, would you help us to focus our eyes on you, the maker of heaven and earth? Because when we see you, we can be transformed from one degree of glory to another. Lord, you are so good. You are so compassionate. You are so gracious. Would you never let us forget that? And in the mighty, powerful name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.